Hey everybody, Kellen here, and I am giving you an interview by Yuck Mouth. He did an interview with JT the Bigger Figure. JT the Bigger Figure is a Bay Area pioneer, legend, uh, difficult to get an interview with. But I noticed that this interview was not getting a lot of love. So I said, let me air this interview. I'm also going to put the link. It's a three hour and 15 minute interview that he did. I'm going to put the first at least, you know, 59, whatever minutes um, that I'm going to be allowed to put on here. If you guys want to hear more of this interview and you, for whatever reason, don't go to YouTube, you've canceled YouTube, you just want to hear it on Anchor because you listen to it while you're doing your work or whatever the case may be, you're going to have to send me a message. Leave me a voice message on here on Anchor. Type something out, depending on you know where you listen to it on Anchor, because I know the majority of you listen on iTunes, but you're going to have to let me know. Send an email. So I want to hear more of that email um, interview on your podcast. So let me know. You know, this is just about the game. Warning, this is explicit talk, so I would not have your young children around. It is explicit. Warning, warning. But one thing JT, the bigger figure, did, he was ahead of everybody. He was doing movies before everyone. He he inspired and worked with Master P. He worked with Jay Prince. He worked with Damon Dash. He, I mean, he was doing things when I was a kid that we were like, whoa, what else? I mean, I remember seeing JT for the first time and, you know, we asked him, man, your book is $100. How are we supposed to, you know, get it? Like, where's that discount? But he was really still in game. We were just not there yet. I mean, I'm talking about being 14, 15, 16, seeing them. You know what I mean? So enjoy this interview. You'll get something out of it um, business-wise if you can get over the, you know, the, the, the curse words or the vernacular or how things are said. But it's all game. Man is responsible for putting on early. Nigga, he responsible for put, putting on Matthew Responsible for putting on Frisco rap, responsible for putting on the gang, nigga, and a slew of other motherfuckers, man. This is the legendary Frisco's finest, Phil Mo's finest. Welcome, JT, the motherfucking bigger figure to smoke a lot radio, y'all. I love it, man. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yes, yes. Big, what's happening with you, man? You out there in Africa, man. How like treating you, boy? Man, I can't even I can't even lie, man. It was really the best thing for me at the time too, man. Uh my people in Africa been, you know, showing me a lot of love over the last couple of years and they've been interested in that whole rap game thing and the movies and you know, they got a lot of talent. But they they just got their freedom in uh 2014. Like 2014, 2015, they had an uprising out here with the president. And uh, his whole operation, you know, basically some of that corruption, stealing the money shit. So they ran the man about the country. His name was Kapore. Right. And as uh, soon as right. they got their freedom, they got their freedom back. This is a small country uh, compared to a lot of the other countries. They got 22 million people here. And out of the 22 million, 17 million is under the age of 19 years old. So really, this is a young, this is a young ass uh, uh, country. Right. They have babies. They having, they having babies every day out here. Babies is like, like each girl, each pregnant lady, definitely got two, three kids. So 
they have a lot of youth that's hungry for change and looking to try to make it, but they just they don't have enough people that can, that's pointing direction, entrepreneurship way, independent way, using the small resources that's available here compared to what America have, but they got enough studio equipment, they got cameras, they got shit shipping in from China. So the young generation, they hungry for the music and the movies, and that, I got invited to help come up with marketing plans, come up with the, the streaming services over here, the music services. So getting invited in 2017, I got a movie called Dirt On My Boots, part four, where I actually get come, come here in real life, but I filmed it and put it in my movie, you know what I mean? So that right there, I spent some money out here. I spent the money on the water well. I helped start the school out here, you know, so, um, that was just what right. I did out of my apartment. That's it. I got invited. I got invited. I got. I got invited to basically come and do what I said I was going to do three years ago. So 2019, October 7th, I came back to come handle that, and it been dope as fuck for me. So, so, so exactly what fit, what part of Africa you in? We know, know exactly where you. Were. I'm in Burkina Faso, in the city of Ouagadougou. And this country is on top of Nigeria and on top of okay. Ghana. Okay. Right above okay. on the west coast of Africa, not that far from uh, Senegal with Akon and that. Mm. That's dope. Bro, mm -hmm. man, um, you, you start talking about Africa, man. Um, we're going to touch on Africa since we're talking about Africa, man. How do you feel about how China is doing African uh, natives out there, man, and kicking them out their house, their businesses and shit, and fucking them over. Is it the same type of tension out there with Asians and Chinese out there in Africa? Man, what I learned about uh, the Asians out here in Africa, the way they're doing it, they see they gold mine like French. See, they seen they gold mine in America. You know, how yeah. Europe was able to colonize and how, uh, how America is not really colonizing but they support South Africa. In South Africa, them people right there, they came from a lot of other places, you know. So the interaction of Asia is the products and the services that they could provide for Africa, but they see Africa not that ganked up on uh, the type of contracts to sign. They basically yeah. were signing three they were signing three sixty deals basically with their diamonds, a 360 deal with the gold, 360 deal with the oil. So China took advantage of that and was able to capitalize on that and started doing contracts and helping with the infrastructure. But the money that the Africa is going to owe is like going into 40 years from now, 50 years from now, 60 years from now. But the Chinese people have got beside themselves with this coronavirus and started treating the Africans bad. That video footage got out. Once that video footage got out, the Africans on the continent is tripping right now. Oh, they tripping shit. about these folks getting caught now with illegal stores. They doing illegal poaching. They killing tigers for the skin and the teeth. They killing elephants yeah. for the tusks. They stealing uh, cherry redwood uh, rose, what's that? Let me see. That that good wood that you make furniture with, that's that that costs a lot of money. That shit is here in Africa, so they can steal wow. that wood, making that, that expensive Chinese furniture twenty five thousand dollars. He should take, I mean, for you know, for dressers and shit out of this special wood. So 
Now they having problems with the applicants. I'm in agreement with it. They causing problems at their stores, at their clinics, anywhere where the Chinese people got their stuff set up. They having to deal with some hot head young niggas that's like, we don't trust you no more. We like the business, we like the tools. They front niggas all these flat screen TVs, you know, generators and different things to, to, to make life better. But at the same time though, they got caught disrespecting. They trying to apologize for the shit now. I see videos coming out where they trying to make it right, but it's you know, I don't know how that's gonna play out for them. I see, I seen I seen on YouTube, man, the government was rounding all the motherfuckers up that you said was making, that was killing the, the elephants for their tusks, that was making yes. killing the fucking tigers oh, for their skin. These motherfuckers had a network with like over 2,000 phones hooked up and they was using the African <laughs> network. You seen that? Yes. That shit. They, man, they took all them niggas out. They put them niggas on the bus, man. Period, man. Wow. It was Indian motherfuckers, African motherfuckers. It was hella people, but I mean, not African yeah. niggas. And it was uh, Asian niggas, like Chinese niggas, man. They all got, yeah, they did a sweep on their ass. The police. Yeah. Yeah, yeah period. Yeah. yeah, it's going down, my nigga. But, you know, nobody wish no, no, nothing on nobody, no race or whatever. You know, it's all wrong if you disrespect <coughs> You know, at the end. But I think they took, with the blame being on them with the coronavirus and shit, and everybody is trying to blame it on black people. Like even in America, they now all of a sudden black people is the most leading with the virus all of a sudden. Yeah, now it's a black disease. Like it's hella Asians out here. They don't say nothing about and, the and when it, and when the first week of the shit cracked, they was calling it the Kung Flu. Yeah. Now all of a sudden it's our shit. Now it's the yeah. black virus. Yeah, they did it like you know, the same shit. You know what I mean? So man, China did the same shit as America. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. black people got it, so the black people bought it out here <laughs> and ran yeah. with that shit to take the heat off that shit back. You know what I mean? That shit backfired. Period. They need a fall guy. They needed a fall guy. They still looking for a fall guy. Everybody looking for a fall guy uh, for this disease, but it's clear that they started over there. You know, but it got released over there and in, in, in some reports that I seen, Dr. Fauci and his crew came up with a, a, a SARS 2.0 back in 2015, working in conjunction with American scientists and Chinese scientists, and they successfully uh, uh, updated the, the SARS thing so that it'll work in human beings. That right there is something that they invested in and now his name popping up and now the documents is circulating all over the internet right now also. So just yeah. that whole just that whole where it popped up at, the boys from Wuhan helped make it. So you know it just got out over there first. Right. That's why welding they niggas inside the buildings. It was welding those and, and locking motherfuckers up because they're like, man, you sick, boy. You even been around. We got to put you in this thing because this shit right here is this, this the real deal. It could jump from person to person, you know, in a way where she, I guess, is airborne or I guess, you know, people just talking and now they're catching it. It's man made. But what I do want to add to this, though, without adding more fear mongering, is that God allowing it to happen for his wise purpose. That's what I can say. 
Is it, okay. is it, uh, is it just as crazy in uh, Africa as it is out here in America and all the other states? Y'all got the virus out there? In the state, in the country I'm in right now, man, it ain't even hit 700 people yet this whole time. And out of 700 people, like 400 people already went home. 65 people died and about 150 people in the hospital total. They might be inflating them numbers in America. Yeah, they want, they want to keep that. They inflate them numbers for that fear factor. Yo, in America, in America, any nigga that died in a hospital, they gonna mark it down as coronavirus. Any black, if you die from heart disease, yeah. cancer, shit, they market it all down as corona. And people, uh, uh, doctors are coming out from hospitals and exposing this shit. So they spiking the numbers up. Just every death, they just saying it's corona. Period. Niggas yeah. come there with the flu and they say you got corona without even testing the motherfucker. <coughs> so they spiking yeah. the numbers up. You know what I mean? With, with with computer, just any nigga that come in the hospital, you got it. Or any nigga that die, you die from it. Yeah. No matter what. Breast cancer, nigga brain tumor, nigga heart surgery, you die from the Rona. It's nigga. all called from corona, yeah. It's all from corona. So well, you, know, uh, you know, that's a master, that's a mastermind plan. Somebody got because I did see how did America, if it wasn't that, that many people in there, how did it go to like a million motherfuckers got the shit and all that? I'm like, somebody getting some money or a check, something like that. Yeah, man. Shit, you look that, up Bill Gates, like, that Bill Gates nigga popping up like he the president all of a sudden. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Bill Gates in the pocket, man. They got a picture of him giving a little girl a shot. I'm like, that nigga ain't even no doctor. So ain't even no doctor, yeah. Nigga ain't no doctor, bruh. Like, how the fuck is he Dr. Spock all of a sudden, my nigga? Like, what the <laughs> nigga? Piss on that yeah. nigga. More like, a mad, more like a mad scientist. That nigga don't yes, sit the fuck down, step the fuck up, nigga. Try to give niggas vaccinations for some shit that he patent. You know he got <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. He like the real live Lex Luthor. Right. He just printing his money. <laughs> and, and he got the world. Take over the world. He got the money to do it. He trying to be the new Walmart man. The man trying to open up a new Walmart man across the world. I mean, the new uh, CVS. He trying to be CVS any place where they sell uh, medicine at, so he can get that money. Hey man, so enough of pencil neck, man. Let's get to you, man, because we let that throw us off, but we definitely need to talk about it because it's a serious shit that's happening out out yes. here over the world. It's around the world, yes. America, not just Africa, not just China, it's worldwide. So we had to speak on it and the effects that it's having towards black people because it's painting the wrong picture. You know, that shit came from China, whether it's lab made or whatever, that shit came from China, period. And they yes. allowed the shit to spread because they, they locked Wuhan down. They put Wuhan on lockdown. They couldn't travel among China, but they could travel out. They could travel yes. overseas. So all the yeah. niggas, Stuck in motherfucking China, woo home. You gonna be on the first shit smoking to get the fuck up out of there. <laughs> they they everywhere. They went to Africa, nigga, Russia, everywhere, nigga, America. But those flights gotta stop everywhere to, to connect. Yep, yep. Australia, yep. Africa. This they gotta connect the flights everywhere connected, nigga. That disease spread and they let that shit go without telling yeah. no Americans until the shit hit like February. Yeah, you know I mean, it was too late. This shit is out. All them flights and all these Chinese motherfuckers that went everywhere trying to get away from China, but end up giving it to the world. They're giving it to the world, allegedly. man. Allegedly, you know, allegedly. Yes. That's just my theory. Giving it to the world. 
Now, now, somehow, Archie. But uh, let's get to you, my nigga. Um, you was the first let's motherfucker. Get to the nitty gritty. Yeah, you was the first motherfucker with a record label from San Francisco, man. Young nigga, young nigga. Let's get because hell of people have record labels, but you was the first young nigga. You signed the young. You had the first little Wayne, which was San Quinn, because you signed him was like fourteen. You had the whole get low shit going down. When well, your shit was popping, nigga, in 92, I was in jail with Demo, another one of your artists, nigga. Y'all already had the record label, get low posse. Y'all was doing y'all shit. I wasn't even rapping like that. I was, you know what I mean, rap back in the day, nigga. I was hustling, period. Demo had a motherfucking song called Cancer Stick. And that motherfucking jail, that camp, because you know 150th, uh, the camp is right above Juvenile Hall. So they yeah. take the nigga on a, a tour through Juvenile Hall from pot to pot singing Cancer Stick. So I'm like, I know how to rap. I just I just hustle, but this nigga made me want to make a Cancer Stick. So instead of making <laughs> a positive song, I made the song called The Ice Cream Man, my nigga. And that came from me competing with your artist that was locked up with me in camp, nigga. So you wouldn't have the Ice Cream Man. You wouldn't have Yuck Mouth if it wasn't for Demo rapping that goddamn song. I made Yuck Mouth, The Loonies, all that shit after that. In camp. <laughs> so, to you, and I'm going to give you your roses, nigga. Why, nigga? Yeah, man. Y'all made me rap, nigga. It's true. Nigga. So, why don't you tell how you started your record label? You know what I mean? How you start producing, discovering niggas? Like, give us a little rundown of, you know, when, when Get Low Records first started. Well, man, to be honest with you, Demo was our official rap star to me before it was me. Before I was rap, Demo the Youngster, I got to send him a salute as being the first nigga that I know that was a kid like me that knew how to rap whole songs and shit. And uh, by him knowing how to rap, and me and him being together every day, I wanted to know how to rap because every time yeah. come around and we get a bunch of uh, the homies to come around in the circle and then he'd just start rapping, hitting on his chest, you know, doing the song and shit. I'm like, man, I gotta, he got everybody going, ooh, oh, same thing he did what happened with you. That happened with me on the street. Okay, and I, was, I remember the first song that he bust, he was rapping. Like special ed, but for the for for the Bay Area, right? And he was talking. About he got a dog with a solid gold bone with the, with the chain on, and you know, talking. About he got his own island. And these little nuances is what made me uh, want to start getting my lyrics together, right? So I I before I, I can go back a little bit before Demo though. Um, I can go to Pier Thirty Nine. 1988, I'm 14 years old, and me and my homeboy Silas Robinson, he's doing double life right now. That was my best friend. Any crime he was going to be part of, I was going to be part of. Anything that was going on in, in the, 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 the late 80s, that's who I was going to be with. Well, long story short, I go to, we, we go to Pier 39, and we do five to six songs, and I can remember the songs that it, it, at Pier 39, you could paint and pick your song. It's a glass studio that you can walk by with the bubble cars at and all the little, you know, amusement park in San Francisco, right by the water. And I remember we had stole some cars. We came up on a few dollars. We all bought the same sweatsuit. And we were trying to be NWA, something like that. 
We want the mic. Yeah, yeah. Right, okay. So we got our sweatsuits on. We go into this, we head to the mall to go see some girls. Before we can see the girls, I want to go and do a song. Now that I got a few dollars, I'm like, let's go in this studio. They only want $19 per song. And you could pick what song you want to do, and they'll play the beat. You could put the headphones on, you in the mic booth, and the video is recording. And parents just don't understand by Will Smith, Rock This Way by Run DMC. Uh, 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 it's like that by Run DMC, and uh, I Need Love by LL Cool J. There was four, there was four songs I can remember, and ain't no fourteen year old kid trying to spend eighty dollars on no motherfucking recording session. But I was the one put the money up, and I let everybody come in the booth with me, and we just didn't say they lyrics. I made up my own lyrics. That was my first recording, swinging the back at trying to be in the industry, or not in the industry, I just wanted to make a tape. So right, I wanted to make a tape. It wasn't even about being in the industry, it was more or less like, we like this rap shit. God damn it, they had Crush Groove came out, uh, the movie with Russell Simmons in them, so that was in the theaters, not, you know, a little bit earlier. These are the things that made me really want to get into it, but that is my first recording, and I can remember making copies on a Panasonic Panasonic radio with the two tape decks. And you put the tape in on this side, and you put the other tape on that side, and then you got to press record, and then I would make a copy. That's how I made a copy for, for somebody who wanted a copy. I want $5, I want $4, I want $2, but goddamn it, manufacturing started <laughs> on Panasonic, you know. And uh, from there, um, I got caught up and went to jail in 1989, November 16th. I never forget. I got reprimanded to go to a group home in Stockton in 1989, and then I came on a home pass from that group home. Demo ended up going to uh, California Youth Authority. He went to California Youth Authority, and okay. the timing of everything was based upon. I got out of jail, but when I was in jail, I was seeing NWA still, and they signed somebody named DOC. And DOC had a song called The Formula. When I was on the street, Funky Enough was the first video. It's Funky, it's Funky, with, you know, with him and Yeah, that was my shit. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's getting funky, it's getting funky. Yeah, watch this, watch this. This is how God work. I'm in jail. And, and in jail, Long Captain Ranch, they let us watch music videos for whatever reason. A lot of time of the day, after school, once you once school over with, you get to go and play basketball, go swimming, go in the rec, play pool, and watch the video. The video that came on this time was Formula. High energy, born with the wisdom, thin to the Benjamin, okay, him and Dr. Dre. Dr. Dre, it's only them two in the video. I'm watching this video, and I'm like, man, Dr. Dre, like, goddamn it, Frankenstein in there working on, you know, he a mad scientist working on Frankenstein. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, watch how this go now. This is 89. I mean, this is uh, 1990 now. I went to jail, 89. I'm locked up for the whole 1990. After, after watching that video so much, Okay, they had they had public enemy in there too. 
He was doing that, doing that thing. I ain't want to be public enemy no more. I want to be, I want to be DOC now. I want to be IQ and DOC and EVP. Yeah, yeah. That's who I wanted to be. When I got out of jail, 1992, I, I started, you know, pursuing my real music dream. I started really pursuing it. I made my first two tapes in 92. I was the youngest nigga to make two tapes in the same year. I put out uh, That The Dope, you know, putting it on the map was the name of a six song EP. Shout out to Black Sea, who took me to Music Annex to manufacture my EP, because RBL Posse, they were going crazy. Yeah, 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 that Bama Weed was kicking. They was the niggas, they was the niggas, but see, uh, RBL Posse got tricked into signing in a minute. Now, let me tell you what I mean by trick. They manufactured 2,000 cassette tapes of RBO Posse. The shit sounded so good and was selling so good. Jason Blaine told them, we'll do a deal with you and sign you guys right now and give you $7,500 right now to sign, to sign with our record label. That means that they didn't have to, they didn't have to wait for the yeah. money for 2,000 tapes. So they end up signing, and he told them, we're going to push y'all. So they got a record deal. And then them 2,000 tapes, uh, he bought them tapes. And then but he, but he, the main thing was he gave them the cash. They didn't know they signed their publishing. They didn't know they signed for multiple albums. They didn't know. Wow. So they wow. signed in a minute. Now, in a minute, got RBL Posse totally insane, rapping forte. And cool nothing. Them four motherfuckers right there is the reason. Then I think Chunk, let me see, did Chunk had something? No, Chunk didn't sign with them. But them was the four that was signed. I tried to sign with In a Minute in 92 also. Look what he tell me. Not yet. Or, uh, you know, we're not going to sign you right now. Or I came with a demo before I pressed my own tapes up and he, he didn't sign it. I was like, fuck it, I'll press my own tape and I just sell it to In a Minute. In a Minute, and music people, In a Minute Records is the record label part. Uh, music people is the distribution part. Same people. Right. Same, same lady, same building on MacArthur Street, same, same, same. Black Sea told me, man, I sang. But when I came and brought my 2,000 tapes, I sold them the tapes. When the tapes sold, RBL Posse was on my song, Frisco Niggas Ain't No Punks, uh, on my album, Don't Stop Till We Major. Me, Demo, RBL, and uh, Septa Gaffer, and Sam Quinn. When them tapes sold, that's when, in a minute, wanted to sign me. And I said, I don't want to sign now. I'd rather just put my own shit out. And I start working on pledging. Do my own shit. Okay, from me going from 1992 into 1993, I was selling my shit. I dropped June 16, 1992, six songs on a black and white cover. Me and Demo manufactured my shit in my mama in my mama room, putting cassette tape with the. I mean, uh, putting uh, not not don't stop too much. Excuse me, uh, putting it on the map was the name of. And Demo took my picture for the front cover with a Polaroid. <laughs> the gang, my gang, this shit go deep. Oh, right? Polaroid, come out right there. Right there, we gonna fit Demo. We gonna pick a picture right now. 
I had a phone back in the days. I had to phone that motherfucker like an army phone. That motherfucker, it looked like the phone that you say the soldiers with. You hold it, and then it had the uh, it had the cord on it. You know what I'm talking about? I bought it from a dope for sixty dollars. I had my little line millimeter. I put my line on the ground. I had my, my phone. I'm on the phone call. Put it on the map, and Demo took the picture. All right, that's June '92. Then a few months later, I do the song with RBL Posse. We got a song called Frisco Niggas Ain't No Punks. That song right there started after Black Sea called the phone and Philbo and was like, look, we need to squash this Philbo Hunters point shit because it's going to fuck up the rap shit. Them was really our enemies, but them niggas was popping so hard. I'm like, nigga, you know, man, I like RBL Posse. I don't want to be, we ain't funking with them niggas. We like this shit. We listen to RBL Posse and Hunters Point and Philmo and, and, and Lake Beach, Sunnydale, Patrol Hill. RBL Posse was, a, was was somebody important to us. So we agreed to come to Hunters Point. We was 10 cars deep and we went over there to Harbor Road. And boy, when we pulled up and all the niggas was out there, I'm like, what? If this is set up, they're going to have fun with us right now. But goddamn it, it wasn't no set up. It turned out to be solid business that we squashed that film on Hunters Point shit right then and there. And then we made a song to commemorate it called Frisco Niggas Ain't No Punks. And you can listen to me on that song and hear me say, God damn it, I know we ain't supposed to be on the song with these niggas, but God damn it, it's time for the city to come up. And that was the song. That was the end. I dropped my album the same day Dr. Dre dropped The Chronic, November 16th. 1992, so I had two tapes out that catapulted me as a young nigga, as a young CEO, you know, shout out to Gigolo G who made the beat, that catapulted me as to as a young, goddamn it, Easy e uh, too short, uh, uh, E-40, you know, out of the kids. I was the first kid CEO. So, so you basically got your entrepreneurial feet wet on the fly through experience. You just... Bam, bam, right there, like a motherfucker. And by you being sharp enough to watch the other homies' mistakes and how they move, you know, you calculated yours very well, my, my, my good guy. <laughs> Man, it was, it was like God's, it, it, it was God's plan because I had to, I had to agree to do the song with RBL Posse. Wasn't no film on nigga recording no song with no Hunters Point nigga in 92. So I took a big chance at doing that because I had niggas, you know, Hunters Point niggas had never, yeah. when they, the drive-bys that came from Hunters Point, they never got a, a clean murder out of our hood. Niggas took bullets. Then nobody never died. All the murders that happened in Filmo, it was a Filmo nigga that killed him. It wasn't the Hunters Point shit. So a lot of niggas did get jumped. A lot of niggas did get shot. We jumped their niggas, we shot their niggas, but it wasn't enough bodies or enough murders and pain for me to, to not agree to do the song. Because yeah, my big homie, they say, man, you should do the song with these niggas. I mean, we listening to them, we like them already, but do the song, that means we kind of get intimate now. We kind of going to be in the same room with these niggas and, you know, the same area with these niggas. But, but by doing that, that made Sunnydale and Lakeview want to squash they beef. That made uh, Portrayal Hill and Valencia Gardens, it made them want to squash they beef. If Philmo and Hunters Point on the same song together, we watched Rodney King get beat 
Yeah, and all that was the same the Crips, and Bloods. the Crips and Bloods came together. So we too. The rise yeah, of we want to. Yeah. Then we want to do that. Then we want to do the same thing that we seen them niggas do. Man, squash the beat. They was the biggest shit that was going. That Crips and Blood shit was spreading across the country. So right. to see them yeah. niggas join forces and start breaking in all them stores together, then we did the same thing. When, when the Rodney King shit popped off, we was running into Lakeview niggas and Sunnydale niggas and Hunters Point niggas all at the same foot lockers, all at the same mall. And either we finna fight, you know, shoot it out, or we gonna go on and just let it be right now because I want them shoes, you want them shoes, and we up in here standing. I'm shopping time. <laughs> you know, and, and, and for that, that moment in time, that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened in the blueprint of something that saved hella lives and made young niggas want to have record labels and want to have a studio. And, you know, now it's believable. Some fucking kids, you know, um, that's 92. Now this, let me, let me, let me bring you, let me, let me bring you up to speed for 93. How does the 92 formula and the being locked up formula uh, kick in with this? In, 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 in the history of how I got on and came up with Game Recognized Game. 93, the, in 92, when I put them two tapes out, I started listening to Minister Farrakhan. Minister Farrakhan was saying, the black youth is targeted by the FBI, the CIA, and the government of the United States. Then he had a Final Call newspaper that had four black brothers on there, young brothers our age, and they had a, a circle with the bullseye on it, talking about black youth targeted by the FBI. And it was an article, and it was talking about how we was able to get our hands on AK-47s and MAC-10s and shit in the black community. And we kids, the first AKs that hit the hood came in a box with the knife on the front of it, with, with, with a knife on it. Inside the box, <laughs> Niggas <laughs> some army shit and the goods was only five hundred dollars. Six hundred tops for AK forty seven in nineteen ninety-one. And them niggas niggas started the Mac tens and shit, tying them with the shoestring around the neck and put it up under your hoodie. <laughs> God damn it. Man, these is army guns. So to be getting all them guns and having a source to actually get them. We didn't know we getting fed guns. The Chinese niggas who was bringing them motherfuckers, man, they had to be tied in with the government or something. How the fuck they getting all these guns, bringing them to high school? Niggas bring AKs to high school. Niggas put shit in their bags because it was so bad. I remember the DOC formula. And they, uh, the formula was the video that captured my mind. The music is cheap, was great, but it's funky enough. Had a remix that go boom, 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 boom. I, I, I took that bass line and then put my own twist to it. And I had five beats. I, I was working on players in the game, and Mac Maul had dropped his album, Illegal Business. And I went and Mac Drake was in jail. And when Mac Maul dropped Illegal Business, that motherfucker sounded like the chronic of the Bay Area. The Dr. Right. Dre, Snoop Dogg, you know, they right. had the chronic. 
the piece that Kyrie put together, them motherfuckers sound like, <laughs> sound like he was down there with Dr. Dre with the little moog. He had the same exact fucking right. keyboard sound. <laughs> right. So right. illegal business, we listen to that going to Seattle nonstop. That's, you know how long it takes to drive to Seattle. Nonstop there, nonstop back. I came home and made my album Players in the Game with the concept that the album got to start from the beginning and play all the way through. That's what I learned from the Chronic album. And then I noticed Kyrie segway Mac Moore album in the exact format of the Dr. Dre uh, blueprint, meaning the songs connect to each other and it don't never stop. It's like a DJ. He played that, he, he made the album, like you listening to a movie or a DJ set, it never stopped. It never was a break in between the songs. So I started crafting players in the game like this, like that same blueprint. And I took that beat and then I called Kyrie because I wanted to buy one of them kind of beats. And Kyrie didn't call back, but Mac Maul called me back. And we started talking. He's like, yeah, I know who you is. We got your tape out here. We got the San Quinn tape out here. You know, uh, Spot in the Shade. And uh, he had the Don't Stop to a Major and uh, putting it on the map. He said, come get me. I drove to the Crestside and picked them up off the Sawyer Strip, brought them back to my house, played five beats for Mac Moore, and said, which song you want to get on? And one of the songs was called Game Recognized Game. That was the title I had. And I had the beat made. And I had a few more songs. But that's the one he picked. He said, I like that beat right there. And he just started saying, hook. Game Recognized Game in the Bay, man. That's how the hook came. But the, bay, the beat was the funky enough beat remixed to JT, you know, with the JT twist. Ah, And then that's, that's how. That song, and we was representing young niggas. Like that was an anthem, and it was a Bay Area anthem, but it was the fact of Vallejo. I wasn't supposed to be doing it. Here we go again. Rest in peace to the Mac from Vallejo. My big homie killed the Mac. Mistaken identity. Then my homie that went with him, he got killed. On the, on the high speed chase, coming back to field mode, the car flipped over. So we lost somebody named Mac Chewy, the driver of the car. I'm not gonna say my other homie name, we're doing life, double life right now. And then and then the Mac, the rapper, he lost his life, mistaken identity. My homie doing double life. Field mode and Chris I had issues over that. Other people got shot behind that. I don't know if nobody else died behind that. But Filmo and the Crestside was not supposed to be doing nothing together based upon they, they that was their big dog. The Mac was their big dog. Well, when I did this song with Mac Moore, by the time niggas found out that we did a song, it was too late. We already did the song. So a few people was in their feelings, man, why you fucking with the Crestside nigga? And then a few of them niggas was on Mac Mall about it. Man, you got a film on nigga doing a song with a film on nigga. Okay, so, but the song turned out to be good. And once again, beef squashed over some fucking music. Game recognized game, Crestside, and Filmo. It can, can interact. Now, let me take y'all back. 1988. 
we uh, was it eighty nine? What year did Mac Mac Drake go to jail? Probably was eighty eight. Cause I was in, I was in, uh, I was in junior. It was eighty eight. Cause I was in junior. I was in eighth grade when he went to jail. Romper room. It's eighty eight. When he came to Fillmore, we jumped Mac Drake for no reason, and everybody that was with him. He had about four, five people with him, but we was about twelve deep. So that's what he made. Too, that's what he made too hard for the radio. Yes. Okay. Yes. We jumped Mac Drake. It was out of pure jealousy. Okay. Them niggas was fresh with them jeans. Jean, uh, uh, you know, they had the jean suit, you know, the the, the five and one jean suit, on it. spray paint shit on it. Man, niggas was fresh. Yeah, Couple fresh. of them niggas had them had them curls, the curls for the curl. You know, niggas to shake that curl. We in that motherfucker, demo everybody. We up in that bitch, like man, these niggas fresh to death. All the bitches is on these niggas, man. Right. So one day we didn't just jump them niggas out the gate. I ain't gonna say it like that. It was, we was jealous of them niggas for sure how they had came to the party though. It was just the niggas. At that time, fresh cars parked outside. And for the record, Jay Diggs was not there because he tried to claim that he was there. He was not there. This, my, my partner got into it with a little short nigga. They got into it, had some words. The little short nigga from Crestside kicked it off though. He grabbed the bottle and hit my nigga in the head from the side. My nigga, he wasn't looking. I said, he took the hell on that one. The little nigga that was back right. He wasn't going for that nigga. He grabbed the bottle, wait for my nigga to turn. And then, ah. Once he hit the home and hit, he tried to run out the dodo. But Mac Drake didn't really get up that quick. So we was able to get some socks in on them niggas. But when them niggas got outside and got to that bed, down at the bottom of the alleyway, they pulled the max out, and we had to turn around and, and goddamn take tail about it. Shout out to the Chris out for not spraying us up. <laughs> the Woo! They are artillery <laughs> for your ass, huh? They had some artillery on it for niggas. <laughs> hey, hey, so look, look, <laughs> the whole thing with Max Drake, that wasn't personal. He didn't know that was Fillmore niggas. Right. Or he didn't know that was JT, or that was Demo. Or that was Septic Gabbard. Like, it wasn't like that. It was more or less like, it's Frisco niggas. They, they got to right. tripping. Right. In any city, every nigga knew back then a nigga could get to tripping. When you take your chance going to some nigga party and some, you know, it wasn't that heavy gang shit, but it was just who the freshest and how many niggas and, you know. But doing that song with Mac Maul, that poured a lot of water on the problem that pours water on all pain from losing somebody, you know, losing life. It, it I'm pretty sure the family still have they, you know, they finished, but as far as it was no need to be mad at the young generation, JT the bigger figure, Mac Maul, we kids compared to my big homies and the Mac and them, they was older. They was shit in their 20s, high 20s. We young niggas. So um, that's two situations that I got to see. Frisco niggas ain't no punks. Squash the beef for Frisco. And then for the Bay Area, Game Recognized Game became an anthem for the Bay Area in 1994 because Crestside 
if Fillmore was able to come together based on me and Mac Hall. Mac Hall was my fan, but I was his fan. So mutually, we created something. I made the beat at my mama's house and recorded it there. And then he came, I picked him up, and then I took him back. I introduced him to San Quinn. You know, I, I introduced Quinn to Mac Dre, got him and Mess connected with Mac Dre. Like, I connected all of that shit. It wasn't cool to connect with them niggas. I made it cool to connect with the Crestside niggas. You know what I mean? And then, uh, and look at this. When Mac Dre got out of jail, the first nigga he saw when he got out of jail was me. And we made Gangsta Gumbo. I mean, uh, Gumbo, what is it called? Yeah, I think it's called Gangsta Gumbo for, uh, for his compilation. And I taught him how to make a compilation. And I taught him that you gotta flood the market with multiple projects. That's why Mac Dre came home dropping nigga hella projects back to back. That was JT taught him that, not black young black brother, not JDs, not none of these niggas, JT specifically. That is why his first project is the compilation. The second project is Stupid Doodle Done, and I'm doing the intro on that motherfucker. So two projects in a row, I give him the game. I had a deal with Walter Zelnick at City Hall. When I did my deal with, with, uh, with City Hall, it wasn't to sign as an artist. It wasn't to, for me to be a rapper on City Hall Records, Sumu Records. Sumu Records was his record label side, and then City Hall was the distribution side. And mm. I taught Matt Dre that you can get a cash advancement lump sum for these compilations, and niggas will rap on them bitches for free with you, and then you can go get you the check. That's how he hit for the Benzo, how he bought his first Benz for 80000 off them compilations. That was me teaching him now. I'm like, boy, you can go hit the white boy for the bag. Just put the projects up. I started compilations with the GLP. Herm Lewis came behind me with the compilation for Frisco. Then Master P came behind that with the compilation for the Bay Area. The compilation she started with me doing a compilation of all film on niggas. That is how the compilation game started for the whole United States. Unity projects. Wow. Unity Projects, niggas, wow. a.k.a. Soundtrack, a.k.a. Compilation. Master P, first tape, I helped solidify him in the bay with uh, the ghettos trying to kill me. The first shit that nigga put out in the bay yeah. area, Master P was standing on the side of a car with, like, the old gangster movies, wearing some suits and looking like a clown, kind of like, basically. Nobody took none of that shit serious. He had to sell that in itself at his own record store. In our hood, niggas was not fucking with that shit. When that nigga seen me and the kids, we was kids killing the rap game. <clears throat> that nigga called me and, and, and Master P him to add some more history to this because he wants the history. Man, in 92, we had a show. Keep it going, baby. We had a show in Richmond Auditorium. My homeboy paid for it out of all the places to throw a show. This nigga picked on the show at the Richmond Auditorium. In Iraq, nigga. <laughs> nigga. Iraq, nigga. Iraq. That nigga brought us, us to do a show in Iraq because Frisco shows, they start tripping. So he said, I want to do a big show, but we're going to have to do it outside the city. So we do a pick and do it in Richmond. But my nigga didn't tap in with the streets. He didn't tap in with niggas in Richmond. Ah, I didn't tap in. Yes. How the fuck we doing a show 
and goddamn Richmond, <laughs> and it ain't no Richmond niggas on the show. <laughs> Man, oh, long no. story short, long story short, I'm the headliner. The Oakdale niggas, shout out to my Oakdale niggas in San Francisco. Oakdale niggas started some shit with some Richmond niggas before the show started, before the crowd could get there. Okay. The word already go back to the Richmond niggas. Man, them Frisco niggas over there tripping. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when everybody from Richmond get there, their mind state is, we here to trip now. We not here to like just come party, nigga. We here to come trip. Right. And guess who? Uh, RBL Posse, they had to get up out of there. Shout out to Black Sea now. When the Oakdale niggas... <laughs> when the Oakdale niggas... When the Oakdale niggas... She got Manny. Oh, no, I got Manny real fast. Now, I'm not paying attention that this could be deadly in a few more hours. If, or an hour or two, this could turn deadly. I'm thinking that these niggas going to classify. Them was Hunter's Point niggas that started that with y'all. It wasn't Filmo, but they didn't care about all that. They like Frisco niggas started it, so we taking that. Frisco, period. Fuck that. Frisco, yeah, Tony Insane was on the show. Who else was on the show? Cool uh, uh, Nothing was on the show. Man, guess what happened? Man, none of them niggas got on stage. None of them niggas got on stage. Somebody else got on stage that wasn't nobody yet. Soon as I get on stage, that's when the Richmond niggas rushed the front door. And guess who at the front of the thing leading the charge? Master Pete. Master nah. Pete. Master Pete. He was like a warrior coming to the front <laughs> That nigga had two <laughs> niggas with him. Them niggas rushed that stage, boy. I felt like Tupac, how we jumped Tupac in my bed and said, we got jumped like Mike Dragon. Man, we got jumped for the first time. And goddamn it, it was it was it was a beautiful thing, man. Because you gotta take an L too. You can't just be the only niggas Film on niggas, yeah, yeah. Jumping all the niggas. My first time as a rap star, now we get jumped. And Master Peter wasn't leading the charge. Well, that was in 92. 94, Master Peter reached out to me. And, oh man, I caught hell for that. I let this nigga come to my house because he had $250 a beat, I told him. If I knew I supposed to be charging 5000 a beat or something like that, I should have been doing it. I'm on the radio, I'm on TV, nigga. God damn it. Right. <laughs> I got videos out. But, but my mama said this, though. I'm going to just shout my mama out. My mama said, son, the same people you meet coming up, you're going to meet them people coming down. So I know Master P and them jumped, y'all. <laughs> but if, if, if you trying to establish yourself right now, you trying to establish your studio, you trying to establish making your beats, work with Master P too. Even though niggas was laughing at him, work with him. Because the same people you meet coming up, you're going to meet them coming down. So I took a chance and let this nigga come to my house. I didn't tell no niggas out in the front that this Master P on Cause my niggas would've came over there and started some shit. So I, but he was trying to learn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was trying to learn where to get the pictures done at. So the same thing Black C did for me, I just showed him the ropes. 
This is how you get your covers did. He watched me put Demo album and Seth album and Quinn album on the inside of my albums before they album even dropped. Like, mm. how this nigga got five, six albums already prepped? Well, I'm making the beats at my mama house. I'm doing all of the mixing. I'm doing all the mastering. I'm paying for yeah. this shit. Yeah. You know, um, so he watched Get Low develop in 94. I put out I put out 10 albums in 94. That was unheard of for a record label or a young nigga. So I made history as a kid, basically. And uh, Mozzie always told me that. He say, I watched you drop all them albums. I said, I got to do what you did. So Mozzie, you know, he gave me my, 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 uh, my salute, you know, that putting out albums back to back is how you can create a movement and how you can get your bag up in an incredible kind of way. Once you got their attention with one thing, keep your foot on, on, on the, you know, keep your foot on the pedal. Yeah. Keep your foot on the pedal. And Master P was able to learn that game and the ghetto trying to kill me was the first project. Then he doubled back and said, I want to get y'all on West Coast Bad Boys. So he had me start that motherfucker off because I was, like you say, yep, I, I became somebody as a kid. I didn't even know how big I was because I wasn't in all the places to know that this many people was listening to my shit. I'm a kid. You know, right. 20 years old, you a fucking kid. Right. You a man, so, so, but you so. a kid. So how did you how did you come 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 across to get involved with the gang? The gang, uh, I met the gang with Minister Farcon, uh, uh February fourteenth, two thousand two, at the Hip Hop Summit for the Nation of Islam in Los Angeles, California, Inglewood to be exact. Uh, uh, Beverly Hills. Um, Four Seasons Hotel is where the actual summit was taking place. And um, I brought the gamblers. I brought uh, about basically about eight rappers from Fillmore to go to this summit. Mm -hmm. Soon as we walk in the summit, I see 400 niggas in there. It's nothing but 400 rappers in this one room. I see, I see uh, Trey D and Goldie Lope from the East Siders with Snoop Dogg, I see them uh, and, and I see a crowd around them. And I see this dude rapping and it was the game. And he had, yeah. on, he had on Cincinnati uh, Reds uh, uh, coat. And I just seen everybody surrounding him, listening to him. He was trying, he was trying to get him a deal. Right. Trying to get a deal, all right? Everybody who came to this motherfucker want to get a deal. Why? Russell Simmons here. Right. The, the news cameras is here. His record labels here. So of course, yeah. Anybody and everybody who had something to offer, they was trying to they were trying to put that shit out there. So out of all the rappers I saw, this the only nigga that he made me. I heard the voice of Shine, but he was rapping like Fabulous. Mm. If you listen to the albums that we put out, he sound like Shine. Right. Yeah. 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 And I thought about P. Diddy finding this kid named Shine and giving him a million dollar deal. That was the first time I heard a nigga get a million dollar deal, all because he sounded like Biggie Smalls. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? So Game had looked like Shine, a slight bit. He was trying to sound like Shine, but his wordplay was like fabulous. 
Right. That's what made me say, this the next nigga right here. This nigga is nasty. I'm the first person to tell him, you the next nigga for the West Coast. God gave me insight, nigga, to be able to pick shit and look at shit. My whole career, for 20-some years, I always be at the at the head of something. The new movements, somehow, the shit I do, it might look crazy to other people. Imagine I got eight niggas from Filmo, and the first day I meet some nigga, I tell them, this the next nigga for the West Coast. Right. <laughs> niggas looking at me like, huh? Yeah, yeah. San Quinn. San Quinn, supposed to be in that game. But that's another story. Quinn chose to do it his formula, and that's the formula that he chose. But game, right. I put game and Quinn together. I found uh, Noble was, uh, the outlaws were stuck on death row. I showed Noble and outlaws how to get off death row and say, fuck shit night. Nigga, we ain't got to listen to shit night. I put them on the album. Okay? So this album I'm putting together, I, I had some nine songs that I got from one of my brothers. I blended the nine songs with Gang. That was my marketing tool to get his name high. Mm. So I thought you be the captain because I just finished doing an album called Comp I mean, uh, Long Beach to Fillmore. So this whole city to city compilation or joint album yeah. project. Now I'm introducing a new formula now. I, I did compilations. Now how about me and the album do a, the artist do a whole album together? So I single-handedly started doing joint albums yeah. before Red Man and Met. No, Red Man met the man they did it first. But me and Dad's doing it, Dad's diligence was stuck on death row too. When niggas seen I knew how to unlock situations and I knew how to say fuck your record label. I knew how to say I'm not listening to no nigga named shit. Not nigga, we young nigga, we ain't listening to no old nigga. Well, I don't care about all that shit, nigga. We finna put these albums out. I taught niggas how to bypass a label and manufacture our own product to get the money for our products. So the 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 QB the Compton, that was that became game business card. And then he started going out there to New York and all these places with the CD. They're like, how you got a mixtape with lines? So it made people automatically look at him. His head went so big, he forgot that JT the one came up with that. And I started Damn. Black Wall Street. In Black Wall Street, I got from Farrakhan. Black Wall Street could have saved the black community if game would have did what he was supposed to do. He single-handedly held the black community back in the rap community and I could put a lot of shit on that. Black Wall Street could have been the biggest thing. Uh, it could have been bigger than every label based upon he was the new young nigga for the West Coast, stamped by 50 Cent from the East Coast, Dr. Dre from the West Coast, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, and Jimmy Iovine. He had the whole world in his hands. And then his whole thing was, shit, I don't need JT now. I could tell him I started it. So his little formula started unraveling very quickly. Let me tell you why, or let me tell you how. The Black Wall Street of Minister Farrakhan asked us to go save the black community using Black Wall Street. He said, learn from the original Black Wall Street of how it was built. And then I want you guys 
to use your talents as the commodity. That is the same thing. Do not sign a 360 deal. <laughs> the 360 